it's really tough to be last in a list of 1,516 people. And our argument with more than baseball is, well, you know, if the teams aren't going to pay us more, well, well, what can we do to help? I mean, definitely <laughs> worth it. <laughs> This is Gil, our our amphibious pitcher. (laughs) And welcome to episode number 141 of Artificial Turf Wars, where you're going to have to guess where we accidentally left our Starbucks cup. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined as consistently as possible by Joshua Housem. Josh, (laughs) how are you doing? (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm glad I can help the consistency of the podcast, so I'm good. It's it's like the Miami Marlins losing. It's just something you can count on. Um, we do have a show. Uh, I don't know why we call it a show. We do have a program. Uh, Vlad Jr. Uh, well, sorry. First of all, this team is only good against one other team, and it's Oakland, and that's going to be a problem because we don't play them anymore. Uh, we have Vlad Jr. not getting anything to hit. We have Stroman getting hit around the ballpark a couple of times. Uh, Blue just had a player meeting in the middle of a series, which is funny to us. We'll tell you why. Uh, Sam Gavilio is apparently our ace reliever. Uh, Luke Melee is also a reliever. Bet you didn't know that if you weren't paying attention to one of these later games. And uh, we have an interview with uh, Jeremy Wolf of an organization called More Than Baseball, which you'll learn more about as, he, uh, as Josh talks to him. We have a do-over for Aaron Sanchez. It's actually a little late, but sometimes people, you know think about do-overs before we do and we have of course your questions mixed in there as always so we begin with this team man this team josh where are the runs um on the other team's part of the scoreboard (laughs) that's you know even that's not true because the pitching's (laughs) been pretty good mostly Mostly. Uh, but certainly you don't really feel like this team once it gets down by about three runs is just going to burst out every time and and make a run at it like well i i saw someone I, I wish i could remember who tweeted this i'm sorry for getting it wrong if you're someone who happens to listen to the show or program <laughs> <laughs> that uh the two the pitchers with the lowest run support both under two runs per game in the american league at least are marcus stroman and trent thornton that's brutal it's, I mean, it's nothing I didn't feel in my bones, but it's brutal. Yeah. Uh, there really is not a murderer's row section of this lineup. Um, obviously, we're going to talk about Vlad Jr. in a minute, but but Justin Smoke and Rowdy Tellez and Freddie Galvis, even when they're firing on all cylinders, I don't think strike fear into the hearts of any particular American League pitching staff. Would you say that's fair? Eric Sogard does, though. Well, uh, <laughs> I would like to know what the real Eric Sogard... This joke has been used a bunch of times, but I, I, I feel it's appropriate. I would like to know what the real Eric Sogard is doing with his life now that he's obviously exchanged identities with a guy who's much, much better at hitting than he ever was. Yeah. Uh, it's bizarre what is happening with Eric Sogard because, you know, he's entering the season. His career high in home runs was three. He has four <laughs> in 16 <laughs> games. Um but in general, the offense is just not very good. I mean, you look at the lineup that they're trotting out there on most days. And if you saw that in spring training, 
you would think this is the road lineup for us, or, or maybe it's like the home lineup when they've got back-to-back games. There just isn't any star power in the lineup. Yeah, just because uh, I don't want to leave Eric Sogard behind. He's the only regular who is striking out less than 10% of his plate appearances. He's also, I believe, the only regular who is walking more than... Yes, he's the only regular walking more than he's striking out. This is 72 plate appearances. This isn't just like a week's worth of games, right? He's, he's walked 14% of the time. He's only struck out 9.7% of the time. His weighted runs created plus, as in 100 is league average, is 191. <laughs> Eric Journeyman Sogard. Sure. <laughs> Baseball's a weird game. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I totally agree with the road, the lineup thing. There are precisely three other people named Eric Sogard who are hitting above league average. And one of them is, 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 uh, Randall Grichuk with a league production of 101%. So he's, he's right I think on the bubble. Not named Eric Sogard. Sorry. Yes. Not named Eric Sogard. I got so excited. Um, but yeah, again, just like Freddie Galvis earlier, we weren't expecting that to last forever. And I don't expect Eric Sogard to last forever, but baseball continues to rear its weird head um but you know one man does not an offense make and therein lies the problem yeah now frankly as sogard falls back to the pack there at least i'm going to steer a segue here at least someone should potentially get a little bit better yeah but if it's only one or two guys we're still having that same it's you as it were. Alan Hansen uh, has taken the battle. I was going to talk about Vlad Jr., but go ahead. <laughs> well, uh, that is who... Did Vlad Jr. kick Alan... No, no. Law kicked Alan Hansen off the team. Go ahead. Tell, tell me about... You, you want Vlad Jr. to be the guy? Well, I mean, it's just... We've seen Vlad Jr. come up, and I think that the dominance he displayed in the minors and the dominance that a lot of rookies, not all of them, though there's a perception, perception that it's most of them, but the dominance that some of these guys are showing from the you know, when they hit the ground running, like Nick Senzel or Juan Soto last year, you know, it made people think that Vlad was going to hit right away, and he just straight up hasn't. Oh yeah, yeah, his uh, his line is not something to be proud of, and he's doing something he's never done in his career. He's striking out way more than he walks. Yeah, ten to four entering today. And he has a strikeout in this game, so eleven to four. And it was another strikeout that the the called third strike pitch was right on the black, which gets to a tweet from James and Tio, who I feel like we should. He's like an honorary member of this podcast, whether he knows it or not. Because <laughs> considering how often we reference, we reference the, the stats he throws out there, yeah, exactly. So he went through the trouble of looking up um, pitches in the heart of the zone as a percentage of pitches received. Uh, and do you have the tweet in front of you? Because I don't want to get it uh, wrong. I do, yes. In the last three seasons, there have been 1,516 batter seasons where the batter saw at least 150 pitches. Vlad Jr. ranks 1,516th or last for percentage of pitches seen over the heart of the plate at 14.3%. The next lowest is 17.5%. So out of 1,516 batters, 1,515 have seen more pitches over the heart of the plate than Vlad. You would have to think that's uh, a bit random, which which James absolutely thinks that, you know, nobody's really avoiding him that much in this small sample, which is fair. But you you must also think it's a bit 
uh, off-putting as a hitter to literally never see anything to hit but to see a whole bunch of pitches on the black uh, and on the corners, you know, and right at the bottom of the zone and stuff, and, and to be, you know, in a position where, well, you can't really hit those consistently, but there is nothing else for you to hit, and you're not getting the walks because guys are, you know, you're in o one counts and o two counts fairly frequently. It's awkward. Yeah, and I think that's you know definitely leading to some of what we're seeing and even some of the frustration we've seen out of Guerrero because he's expanding his zone far more than he did in the minors because he didn't have to. You know, when you when he was in the minors, he could wait and eventually get a pitch that was over the plate and drive it. Yeah. And if you look at even his hits, like his first hit was in a pitch that was a good six inches off the plate. Yep. Um, and and uh, no, this is going to lead to these situations where you have 10 strikeouts to four walks when, you know, you're getting these fastballs just on the edge of the black. That's going to lead you to swing at breaking balls farther off the plate because they're looking like those fastballs. Whereas, you know, fastballs are leaking over the middle. The breaking ball probably is going to be closer to this to the contact zone than you know, then then he's seeing, or you don't swing at it because it doesn't look like the fastballs you're seeing. Yeah, and I think, unfortunately, the only cure for there is is the fact that it's really tough to be last in a list of one thousand five hundred and sixteen people um, as the uh, as the number of pitches you see piles up, right? Yeah, I mean, this <laughs> the odds are that it's not going to stay last. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> Like major league pitchers are a lot better than minor league pitchers, but that's just a fact. But they're not this much better where he's going to see nothing like he's ever seen before because that's just not the case. Pitchers aren't that good and umpires are not that this consistently bad. He's been getting a lot of pitches that are on the margins or off the plate called for strikes and not too many that are on the plate called for balls. Yeah, and I, I think when it turns around, either you're going to see him starting to walk and and eventually pitchers are going to realize they've been too fine and they're going to have to start, you know, after he walks more than he strikes out for some period of time, that's probably going to be uh, a change in strategy on the other side where they're not going to be as fine because they can't afford to keep putting him on base or you're going to see them make some mistakes and he's going to punish mistakes. And I, I think it's probably going to be the latter. That's just a hunch I have because I've always believed that even great hitters hit more mistakes than they hit great pitches. Yeah, of course. And pitchers are not, as we're saying, they're not this good. The, I, I can't remember what it was. Like the average pitcher mentions this spot by like 17 inches. I don't know if I ever believed that stat because that's the width of the plate. But pitchers cannot hit on a dime over and over and over and over again throughout the course of a game. That's just <laughs> all season. That's just not likely to happen. So there's so much room for him to get better just with, you know, an, like you said, an increased level of patience and just regression from pitchers. And I just, I watched the uh, game day feed here and he uh, just grounded out on a pitch right at the bottom of the zone after getting ahead in the count. So there we go again. <laughs> yeah. He still didn't see one anywhere near the middle. Uh, and Charlie Montoya was talking about this though, what you were saying that he needs to start being a bit more selective and, you know, like it's easier said than done when you're not getting anything on the plate, but still getting strikes called. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if he just stays off some of these and 
then some of these breaking balls, if he stops chasing them, then people will start having to throw more fastballs, which will lead to more missed fastballs. Yeah, no matter how frustrated you are, a great hitter knows that a ball is a ball. Even if it doesn't get called 100% of the time, you can't fall into the trap of of that zone expansion you talked about earlier. Um, and, but, I mean, obviously, he's a rookie. It does take time. He's, yeah, he's 20. 20 years old. So, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, week two in the life of Vlad Guerrero Jr. Um, so, let's move on to uh, Marcus Stroman. Yeah, he had a bad couple starts. Yeah, uh, last night he was just uh, shell-shocked. What was the one before that? The one before that was against the Angels. Right. And um, he was you know, not that great in that one either. Do we feel like he's doing something different, or do we feel like just this is you know the ebb and flow of the game? So I took a look, and... Of course you did. Count on, on you. Well, <laughs> wouldn't be much value if we just said, "Whoa, who knows what's going on?" Hey, man, there's well, there's a certain group of people who uh, get paid to basically do that. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now the answer might be that, right? But yeah. you should always look to see if there is something more. Now, so in the last couple of starts, he wasn't really throwing his cutter. The sinker usage was similar, slider, but the cutter sort of went away in favor of four seamers and changeups. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know if, if that's all that representative. One thing that was an issue was that he just wasn't getting any swings and misses with his non-sliders. And, you know, like he got zero swings and misses against Minnesota with his fastball. And, wow. yeah, like that's just not <laughs> it's not likely to happen. So, you know, I, I think that it's, it's a, some element of fluke because the movement was the same. Pitch usage was essentially the same. The velocity was a bit down in his last start, uh, about a mile per hour. But again, that's just one start. So I think it's just a fluky nature of baseball where pitchers get hit. All right. Well, uh, we'll find out in, in his next start, depending on how his next opponent is versus Marcus's kind of stuff, uh, to see if he bounces back a little bit. I can't see him giving up, what was it, six last night? Five, six? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he finally gave up a home run. He had gone a really long time without giving one up, one up this season. He's given up two now. But, uh, you know, I, I think that this is sort of, you know, we're still in this small sample size of this new approach of his. Where he, I think we're at eight starts now. We No, I don't think we are at eight starts now. <laughs> and, you know, the data points are started. There's more of them. And, and, you know, these last two starts being very different from the first six sort of throws back into that randomness that Stroman's had in his career. But I'm, I, it's still too early to tell what this new approach is really going to do right um which is fine because we do have like we're not the blue jays we don't have to make a decision about him we have a whole season to watch him uh to see what kind of pitcher marcus stroman is and as we've said many many times i feel like a broken record there's really nothing at stake here except uh you know what what marcus perceives is at stake uh because they're not going to the playoffs with this this configuration no (laughs) So speaking of this configuration, uh, th- this lineup that we we described as a generously maybe triple A spring training lineup, um, kind of bunch of guys, they had a, a player meeting in the middle of a series regarding hitting. So my thought on player meetings, I, I have a feeling you might agree with me, is that if player meetings worked to change on the field performance, there would be a meeting before every game. <laughs> well, no, because then you'd be changing it from good to bad and good to bad. Okay, after every loss, 
there ah, would be. Well, then, yeah, sure. I agree with you there. <laughs> uh, that does seem a bit desperate, though. Yeah, I mean, it's tougher when, we, when you don't really know what they said to try to, to try to guess at it. You know, they could have been talking about, you know, attitude and frustrations and things like that. But they, it's just I think it's more catharsis than it is anything actually helpful. So the talk was that, that some of the things that came up were about about approach, the old staying to the middle of the field, taking what they give you, yada, yada, um, like platitudes yeah that that stuff is all something that you you don't really need to close doors and have a chit chat about that's something you should be talking about at the batting cage if that's really your strategy uh you should be talking about it you know in the dugout too Uh, it it shouldn't be something that you have to do an about face or you know put your foot down and and get serious about when game time comes when game two against the twins comes up oh then now it's time to have a good approach like guess what but it's not working. No, I just look in here. This is a four hits in seven innings. That doesn't seem to be a lot. Um, also, no runs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we talked about this really early in the season when the team was just really not hitting in, the, you know, in those opening series against the Tigers and the Orioles. This lineup is going to do that. <laughs> There's a lot of hitters who have had lack of success at times and or or at best inconsistent because they don't take a lot of walks there's a lot of swing and miss yeah so when that happens you're going to go through these stretches where you just aren't hitting because everybody's struggling yeah i mean you you have brandon drury 125 plate appearances 36 percent strikeout rate I, i will go i won't go over the guys who were brought in late uh you have rowdy tellez 110 plate appearances, 31.8% strikeout rate. You have Teoscar Hernandez, 122 plate appearances, 28.7%. And lastly, I will stop with Randall Grichrek at 144 plate appearances and 28.5% strikeout rate. That's a lot of numbers. That's guys who, like, more than a quarter of the time, sometimes more than a third of the time, don't do anything with the baseball except watch it go by or 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 swing and miss at it it's very difficult to get something going with those kind of percentages yeah and even just like specific numbers this season aside because you know like drury's numbers are not rational they're way outsized for even his major league career but just the talent level of some of these guys i mean if you go down the list how many of these guys would you consider true big league starters on a contending team I mean, Tosca Hernandez and Billy McKinney, Brandon Drury, you know, they all seem like they could be fourth outfielder slash utility types. And these are all starters. So there's just so much risk in this lineup. Yeah. And, and I mean, their production up to this point and in past seasons, it, it's it's tough seeing a guy who's been consistently above average in this lineup. You, you, you yep. need... <laughs> You need an average number of people above average to be good. <laughs> that's that's math. It's not good math, but yeah. But it made sense. Um. So yeah, it's it's all well and good to have a meeting, but what I, the irony of that is, you need better players, and specifically, uh, you were going to talk about. Well, we're going to talk about the outfield with the questions, are we? That where that's yeah, we got up? some questions yeah. specifically about that, so we're going to save that for the next segment. Uh, we do have, I mean, the team does have decent pitching overall. 
Like there, there, there's nobody really horrible. We're going to talk about Sam Gavilio because he's been the decentest uh, in a bit of an unexpected switch uh, to the bullpen. Sam Gavilio, who made the second most starts on the team last year. Yeah. Yeah, but um, they found a better spot for him. Huh? <laughs> yeah, it seems that way. I mean, even if you just looked at the way Gavilio performs last year, you know, like he or not even his performance, just if you look at him and his stuff, that never looked like a player who should be facing hitters multiple times in a lineup because he doesn't have over. I mean, no hitter should be no pitcher should really be doing that, but you know, he doesn't have the big time stuff that can help you get away with that. Mm-hmm. And so, like last year, the first time he faced an opponent, they had a six twenty five OPS. The second time, it was 9.30. Does Sam Gavilio have a second time through the order penalty? Is it? Is it... Yeah, but that's that's what I'm getting at, right? Yeah. All the best pitchers have a third time through the order penalty. I mean, they all have a penalty every additional time, but the extreme ones are for these guys that don't have the stuff to get outs consistently multiple times facing a hitter. And that's what Gavilio is. So having him be placed as this two-inning pitcher is perfect. Yeah, because he, he does only see them one time, and he, he, he suppresses lots of things. He strikes out a decent amount of people. He hardly walks anybody this year. Like a 2.3% walk percentage. Yeah, and you know he's doing some things a, a little bit differently. I mean, he's... So, Sam Gavilio is doing what relievers are doing and pitchers are doing across baseball, changing sinkers for sliders. And in his case, I mean, he threw 55% sinkers in 2017, 47% in 2018, and down to 34% this year, and it's equivalently going up in sliders. And that's that makes a lot of sense because he doesn't get swings and misses very much on a sinker, and he gets a lot of them on the slider. And that translates into all of the, the, the traps that the modern, uh, you know, launch angle-oriented hitter uh, can fall into against a, a pitcher, right? Against the sinker, he's going to make contact and he's going to lift the ball. Against the slider, he's going to miss. Right. And so as he's transitioning into this role, it allows him to be more specialized without really worrying about what it's going to do to you know, the extra strength on his arm. He's throwing his slider two miles an hour harder. And as such, it's 40% st- uh, swing and miss rate. Or, or miss rate on swings. And that's really, really good. Sweet. So they, they found a gem. Essentially. I mean, look, it's, a, it's still a small sample size, but there there's at least some sense that he could be more successful in this role. Just based on his numbers last year, the first time through, his success this year. I mean, he's not going to be a one ERA pitcher, but a useful arm, maybe. Cool. So, okay, who is the only Blue Jays pitcher to have a lower rock rate than Sam Gavilio's 2.3%? Ooh. It, it's a trick Luke question. Luke Maley? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Luke Maley also has the second highest strikeout percentage on the team, but again, the sample size may be affecting that. Uh, he... I think the novelty, unfortunately, of the position player pitching uh, has has uh, worn off quite a bit on me, and I wish that it didn't happen quite as often as it does. But 
in a 10 to 2 game in Anaheim, Luke Melee found himself up on the mound and and uh he took care of business. He He's throwing 88. <laughs> wait, wait, isn't it like the Twitter account 72 mile an hour fastball? Yes. Yes. Sorry, I had to clear my throat there. But yeah, so he was he was humping it in there with you know, easy mechanics. He seems like he could probably throw the low 90s. Every single pitch apparently showed up as a slider for reasons not well explained by the pitch <laughs> locating algorithm. Um, maybe he was trying to throw knuckleballs and, and didn't understand the grip and ended up throwing it harder than he should have. What, like he's got like the super R.A. Dicky knuckleball at 88? <laughs> well, it, it doesn't knuckle, obviously, because it's a slider and it's spinning. But, you know, uh, it, it certainly normally it shows up as change up if the fastball isn't hard enough. So there must have been some action on it to have it taken as cutting? a slider. Yeah, a little cut action, which is why he I got tried a to find up. his Brooks baseball pitching stats, but I can't, unfortunately. Oh, well, maybe they'll add him next week to the database. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, if, if it didn't happen so often, it, it would be even more fun. But uh, good on Luke Melee for uh, answering the bell there and, and getting the job done because it's not easy. Remember, every time you think about position player pitching travis snyder struck out joey Votto, so anything is literally possible when that happens (laughs) all right i think that that handles pretty much the the week that was we noticed we didn't mention the actual record of the team we avoided that bad (laughs) run scored low (laughs) runs allowed high (laughs) thanks for coming out uh, we're going to go and uh, we're going to go to an interview that Josh did for us with Jeremy Wolf of an organization called More Than Baseball, who are helping out players in the minor leagues. And we're going to learn more about that right after this. And it's my pleasure to be joined by Jeremy Wolf, a former minor leaguer and founder of More Than Baseball. Jeremy, welcome to Artificial Turf Wars. Hi, thank you for having me. So, I, I'm sure that many of our listeners probably have no idea what More Than Baseball is. Now, they've heard of some of the plights of minor leaguers, but not much of what's being done there. So, could you just, before we get into anything else, briefly explain what your company does? Sure, sure. With the uh, the collective response to all of that plight, right? We, we wanted to build a way where minor leaguers can work together on just creating a better environment for themselves. Uh, so I start all these conversations with, like, it is a true pleasure and honor to be able to play minor league baseball. Um, it's a dream come true, right? We're kids and we're growing up and we want to play professional baseball. And I always wanted to play, you know, uh, for the New York Mets and I live my dream. But that, that being said, I, I still had to pay for my own equipment. I still had to pay for my own food. I still had to pay for my own housing. But at a certain point, there are things that uh, that happen in minor league baseball that, that the players have no control over. They can control how they perform, sure, but they're on the hook for their own housing, food, equipment, whatever happens to them after their career, their entire offseason. And, and when I was released, I wanted to find a way to go in and help the situation. Instead of screaming from the rooftops about we need to – Sue this person, sue that person, fight for this, fight for that. I was I was tired of the arguments. I was tired of not being able to have a dialogue with the team that I played for, the things that would have made my job uh, easier to perform at my job. Uh, and so I, 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 I simplified it all. And we built more than baseball to say, well, what can we do for a minor leaguer today? Uh, minor leaguers can come to our website. 
morethanbaseball.org and find discounts on housing, food, equipment. They can find resources for career services. They can find, um, you know, if they want to go back to school, get an undergraduate degree or a master's degree while they're playing, we have online resources that will allow them to um, further their life, not, um, you know, because of because minor league baseball is such a grind, we want them to have every opportunity possible to succeed. And so that's why we built more than baseball. And, you know, from your website, which I encourage all of our listeners to go visit and learn more about more than baseball. But you mentioned that part of the reason for launching this was the Save America's pastime or the name, the name wrong, but the congressional change, which basically forced Mm -hmm. minor leaguers into low salaries. You were a player at that time, correct? Uh, no, so the, so the Save America's Pastime Act, ironically right. named, which, which, uh, <laughs> which, uh, it came out in March of 2018. So I was released in, oh, okay. uh, October, 2017. Uh, the Save America's Pastime Act came out and I read it and then I read it like three paragraphs, right? Stuffed in like page 2000 of the 3000 page bill. And, and we're just like, as minor leaguers, and, and I was just out, but I talked to my friends about it and they're like, it's not going to change anything day to day. It just now legally prohibits us from, from even seeking a, a higher wage, you know, at a certain point. And it's like after 40 hours, we're only 40 hour a week workers, which is uh, completely untrue, right? We get to the field at noon or one and we leave at 11 or midnight. So on average, you're working 65, 70, 75, even 80 hours a week, uh, you know, four year, 45, 55, $65 a game. So, at the end of the season, right, I, I, I was in short season, right, which is the 72-game season. <clears throat> I made uh, $3,000 that I had to buy housing, food, and equipment. And then I had to pay the clubhouse dues. And then I had to pay for student loans. And then I had to pay for, um, you know, my car bill and, and every other, you know, my phone bill. I, like, I, had, I had expenses. And so um, minor league baseball is not self-sustaining. And and our argument with more than baseball is, well, you know, if the teams aren't going to pay us more, well, well, what can we do to help each other, right? What, what sorts of companies can we partner with? What sorts of people can we partner with where, um, you know, we make it easier for a minor leaguer to just go out and perform? And so our argument is, on the team side, if you enable these kids to play the game, to help help them through the season, to enable them to um, work out in the off season, work on their craft in the off season to perform better. You're going to increase player development. The whole point of minor league baseball is to create major leaguers. So a perfect example is the Astros. The Astros from our understanding and our research have done a phenomenal job in player development, which for them creates a championship window that lasts two or three years longer than everybody else without having to spend as much money as the Red Sox, the Yankees, whoever, though their payroll is high, right? They paid Altuve, but they didn't want to pay Keiko because they knew that they had guys um, in the minor leagues who could do that job. Well, why? Because A, they draft well. They draft the right players, sure. It's a good fit for their organization, those players progress. But they also focus on player development throughout the season. And so what that does is it creates more major leaguers and the ability for teams to trade and um, create you know, a longer championship window. So these minor leaguers are valuable resources that the teams can use to create value in the major leagues, which is the point of minor league baseball. So we say to teams, 
you help these players 12 months a year, you're going to create another major leaguer. Or you can create two or three just by helping them, um, you know, with housing, food, and equipment and allowing them to focus solely on baseball. And so, you know, on a player development side, we can create more major leaguers. On a player side, we can enable them to just focus on playing and keep them playing longer and keep them healthier and keep them sleeping on beds and, and, and not an air mattress, right? So um, we look at it from that baseball perspective as well. Yeah, well, that certainly seems important. And, and so now you've got this up and running, right? Because for all the reasons you just stated, which you know we've had Emily Walden on, I'm not sure if you've talked to her, but she's been championing mm-hmm. this kind of thing for a while. How did you get these companies on board? You say you offer discounts. You know, like do you, where does your funding come from? So Emily, Emily's great. We did a podcast. We did the Effectively Wild podcast. I hate to plug another podcast, but uh, Ben <laughs> Lindberg and Emily Walden invited us, and uh, it's really great. So uh, they're really nice people, and and they they appreciate the cause, and and just you know, baseball is baseball. We love baseball. We want to see it improve, and this is just another one of those things that can enable our game to grow at a, from a community level to um, even a national level. Like we love baseball. That's why we do this, and we want to see. Uh, the best it can be. Um, so from our, from like a fundraising perspective, we, we look at fans and we say, Hey, you know, you have the opportunity to help provide, you know, these housing, food and equipment to these guys. You have the ability to donate specifically to this cause. You can donate to your community, right? We can have a fund ready for if there's a little league field in your town that you want renovations to, and you don't know who to send it to. Like, you can donate to more than baseball and say like, I have a field in Detroit and I need, uh, we need equipment. Okay. Well, you know, we can help you with that. Right. We want to build the baseball community. Um, if a fan goes, Hey, I want to donate to, uh, my favorite player is, is a 20th round outfielder and, and wants a case of bats. I can, I can help get him a case of bats. $50 will go a long way to get him a case of bats. And so, um, I figured out that there were, there were needs that players had. Like I was hungry before and after games and I would send emails to companies and say, Hey, I'll post a picture on my social media. If you guys send us a case of beef jerky. And so we're kind of, we scaled that up. We said, well, Hey company donate to us, you know, give us a discount on food and we'll post your pictures on social media. You'll become part of our brand. When we do events, you guys are invited to our events. We're creating a community that can help every aspect of, of minor league baseball, the fans, the teams, the players. Um, and so brands have jumped at us and said, well, we'd love to, we'd love to work with you guys. We want to get our name out there. So right now we work with um, smaller, smaller, more independent companies like Birdman Bass. You know, they just got to the major leagues a couple of years ago, like Yassiel Puig uses their bats, uh, but they're still looking to grow at the minor league level. So our guys can now get a case of their bats for like $65 a bat. And if they want to buy like three, it's like $75 a bat, but they're enabling these kids to use their product in, in partnership with us. And so we have Elements Nutrition, which is on, on board. And instead of going to get McDonald's after games or you know, having a, a Subway sandwich, right? Like we're in the middle league before a game. It's, it's have a freeze-dried macronutrient, boil water, put it in the bag. It'll cook for eight minutes, and it's really, really good food for you. And the better we eat, the better we're going to perform, and the better we're going to recover. And the better equipment we use, the better we're going to play. And so 
it all comes down to can we get them the access to the best things possible with what we have, right? We're not able to um, pay their salaries. We can't do that. We can't, um, you know, we can't give them thousands. That's not what we're doing, but we're just trying to make it a little bit easier to play minor league baseball today. And so this is where the interesting thing comes in. Just a couple of days ago, on April 29th, I believe, you mentioned or you announced that the Toronto Blue Jays have partnered with you in some way. You've mentioned all these smaller companies. How? What is this deal with the Major League Club like? Yeah, so they've, they've been in touch with us for a while. They uh, Their director of player development has been in touch with our director of business development and um, – they, they've been speaking for a while about, you know, what, what's something that we can do to help their organization, right? What, what's something that they can do to help the Blue Jays? Well, they figured that if they can help their minor leaguers, you know, progress and they can help their investment develop, it'll be better for the organization in the long term. So the Blue Jays are the only team that have raised their players' wages dramatically, right? Their players got mm-hmm. a 50% wage increase. From, for single A, double A, and triple A, which at the end of the day is a couple thousand dollars more in their pocket. And that's great. You know, like a triple A players are now making, they went from making like $10,000 a year to now, uh, you know, 15, 14, $15,000 a year. Attract housing, food, equipment, all of these expenses going home in the off season, you know, trying to find a job. I know a kid with the Blue Jays who works at Target in the off season and he has to make money to be able to pay for his training. And so we're just trying to make it easier to pay minor league baseball. And the teams are starting to come around and saying, well, you know, look what more than baseball is doing. They're not screaming about what needs to change. They're being proactive with the changes that happened. And it creates a change because they know that, you know, if these players are, are well fed and protected, they're going to play better. And so for our organization, we want to see a kid progress, right? We want to see these kids, work really, really hard and get to the major leagues. Though we know 95% won't, we're trying to give every player the opportunity to um, to perform at his highest ability. Yes, so the teams see us and say, well, let's bring them in. They probably have ideas that we're not doing that are going to make these players progress. And what if a team gets another major leaguer out of that? And that major leaguer was a 20th rounder, and they gave him a $10,000 signing bonus. So that guy goes from being a $10,000 guy to an incredibly valuable investment because he's now a major leader. So is the so, the deal between you and the Blue Jays essentially just they've reached out to you for assistance in building their, you know, dealing with their minor leaguers? Or is there some kind of actual sharing of information or money or something there? Right now, it's more of a consulting. Right now, it's more, and that's what we want to be for teams in the league. It's it's we know directly what's going to affect minor leaguers. We know and we've set in place what's going to help them progress. And we want the team and we want the league to come to us and say and work with us and say, well, wh- what do you guys think should be done to help them? Well, what are you guys doing right now? Oh, we do A, B, and C. Okay, have you thought about this? Have you thought about more incentives? Have you thought about better nutrition? Have you thought about you know, ensuring that they all have mattresses to sleep on, right? Have you enabled them to focus solely on baseball in the offseason? Do you have programs set up for them during the during their careers and after their careers in terms of resume building, in terms of, you know, mental skills, in terms of professional development? There are things that we're doing in our organization that we know will be valuable for progressive teams 
looking to um, looking to build their investments, which is why minor leaguers are there. And so we want to see these investments grow. And hopefully, you know, right now it's about 5% of minor leaguers make it to the big leagues. Hopefully with our help, we can make it 6% make it to the big leagues because they're being, they're able to progress throughout their minor league career. Uh, we want to help players grow. We want to help the game grow. We want to help the league grow. We know that there are holes in minor league baseball player development that we're trying to fill. Well, I mean, on our podcast, we've certainly discussed, we were curious why this stuff wasn't happening. So we're really glad that you are. <laughs> so why don't you just quickly tell people where they can find you and how they can help out? Sure, sure. Uh, morethanbaseball.org is our website. Uh, there's a button there where you can you can give to the cause. You can write us a note. You can um, ask us questions. Like, we're always available to talk. I'm sure my number's on it, on it somewhere. Reach out, and, and I'll be sure to, you know, uh, answer any questions anybody has. And, and then you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at MTB underscore ORG and then Facebook at More Than Baseball. All right. Well, everybody, definitely go check that out. And Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on. Wish you all the best with this. And hopefully this continues to grow and minor league baseball continues to get better and better for the players. You got it. Thank you, sir. All right. Have a good night. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And we have returned after that little chit-chat. Yeah, you know, when you combine that with what we talked about with Kyle Bodie before, the Jays really do seem to be trying to take advantage in the minor leagues in some fashion in player development. So they've got the analytical aspect, and now they've got this sort of human aspect of, like, what helps minor leaguers perform better. So that's kind of neat. Yeah, very cool. Um, And obviously, it's going to take a little while to bear fruit, but I I think you'll certainly hear, if it does start, you know, working in the Jays' perception, you're certainly going to hear themselves give themselves a lot of credit for when that works out. Yeah, and then more than baseball, we'll talk to everyone, and then the advantage will be gone. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. That's that's how competitive advantages work in most industries. Uh, Anyway, that's okay, though. We have questions. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? I feel like we do get to repeat the question this week. Um. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure do. <laughs> but we take them all. We take them all. Brian Donnelly at Brian Donnelly 8 begins with, If Vladdy continues to struggle, how much longer until we start to get Travis Snyder 2.0 hot t- takes? Now, that is a different angle on some of the questions that we've, we've been asked because uh, there are a lot of Vladdy questions. So I will take this one separately. I, I think just like Travis Snyder got a full year, I think, of... of you know, wow, he's he's going to be the future. I think minimum Vlad gets a year of consideration before people start to talk to talk about him as, as anything other than the next big thing. Yeah, I, I think that's safe. I mean, obviously, when you reference questions like this, there's going to be that vocal minority of dumb people I mean, <laughs> you know, who just fine. I won't call them dumb people of reactionary people who jump at everything like you have jeff blair on the radio saying he knew vlad was going to struggle how (laughs) (laughs) it's like great why didn't you say that beforehand but anyway i I, look it's just so early and i I agree with you that 
it's going to be at least a year before anyone starts saying, oh, maybe it's not as good as we thought. Yeah. Okay. So that was the, the theme one is Vladdy. We'll come back to Vladdy. Theme two, uh, Jarrett S at JRod19 asks, can Rowdy play left field? Um, mm-hmm. Which kind of goes with Matt Sweeby's question at Blue J Matt. This outfield is awful right now. What's the plan? How long do we have McKinney, Hernandez, and Brito? Are we really going to give Biggio and Gurriel a few weeks practice at AAA and expect them to be good defensively? Drury was bad defensively out there in 2016. Is he the best option? And, and then, uh, go ahead. And then the, 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 the one more of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be Dave uh, Ghost at uh, Dave Ghost 81. And if I mispronounce that, Dave, I really tried to remember the mnemonic you gave me, and I don't remember it. <laughs> um, how much more rope are they going to give McKinney and Hernandez? Oh, yeah, those two, really? Uh, who should be coming up to replace them if they get set down? I have an idea. Uh, who do you <laughs> want to come up? All right. So before we get into the replacements... So Rob Silver, political pundit and fantasy baseball analyst who also happens to love the Blue Jays, the worst hitting right fielder by a team in baseball history or performance by right fielders is the 2019 Toronto Blue Jays. You just glom them all together. Just people who are playing right field at any point. Wow. Wow. And that includes all these guys that were just mentioned. They've all seen time there. Some of them also in left field. I don't know the left field stats because I didn't pull them up because Rob didn't tweet those. But (laughs) (laughs) But it was easier to source this way. I just went to his feed. Um, It's really bad. Really bad. And, you know, we talked about some of the flaws in this lineup in the first segment. And, you know, Hernandez, we've seen him be better. McKinney, we've seen be better. But they're also... You know, these guys were potential fourth outfielder players from the beginning. We got tricked into thinking Hernandez might be more than that. But, you know, like, these aren't necessarily future key pieces. I like how Socrates Brito didn't even come up in the second part of your statement there. Why, why even bother? <laughs> I do not know what the point of Socrates Brito was other than a really cool name like Socrates. Well, we talked about it when they acquired him, right? The tools were there to, to be exciting, right? He's, you know, he hit well on the minors and he had some speed and he could play the outfield. The production just isn't there. All right. So that was part one, which is they are really, yes, that awful as a group. It's been horrible. Uh, what the question too is, you know, is Biggio or Guriel as an outfielder, the answer? Well, the interesting so Biggio, I would say probably less so. I mean, he's been playing more second base. He played a couple games in the outfield, but he's been back at second while Gurriel's been in the outfield. You know, the thing with with Gurriel when he came up, actually before that, when he was first signed, it was always, well, he's not really a shortstop. He's probably best suited to center field was the original statement because he can read the ball or he could in Cuba when he played in the outfield, and he didn't have the the footwork for the infield. And we've seen that when like he's trying to throw from second base. So I actually think the grill could be a good outfielder. And that that was probably always ultimately where he'd get the most of his time. Well, now whether that means that the, you know, the two weeks of play out in triple (laughs) a is the answer. It's, it's tough to say he's certainly hitting well. Yeah. And I, the one thing that Gurriel has, has proven is, is 
if he's not, you know, in a funk defensively, he is able to put the bat on the ball and and generate hits um, and generate good contact even at the major league level. Not as consistently as, again, you might hope, but certainly more consistently than the three guys who we're talking about playing it right now. So you would kind of like to get his bat back up here. Yeah, and I, I expect that will happen soon. I mean, he's hitting three fifty three with a three eighty nine on base and a six forty seven slugging in AAA. Now, that on-base percentage batting average gap is always going to be a concern. He just does not walk. But as long as the strikeout rate normalizes a bit, it was a little elevated at the beginning of the season, he's still an upgrade potentially over what they've currently got. Now, Jarrett's question uh, was, can Rowdy play left field? To which I would say... He can barely play first base. Let's slow down. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Again, if he and I were to go into a a competition, uh, fielding skills at first base, he would walk all over me, 100%. But that's not the level we're asking him to play at now, is it? No, no, it's not. He he hasn't been bad there, but he's definitely not... I watched uh, Chris Colabello patrol left field, and I feel like... True, so then when he could do it. <laughs> Chris Colabello could do it. And obviously this was a joke, just because the outfield has been really bad. Yes. But I've, you know what? I want to see it now. Screw it. Let's get weird. It's it's going to get weird before it gets better, Josh. You and I know that in our heart of hearts, don't we? Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, Colleen Evans... Uh, theme number three, which I think she's the only one asked about this. We'll get to theme back to theme number two with Vlad. Um, Aaron Sanchez has yet to look as sharp as he has in the past. Do you think this is due to all the innings he missed last year? When do you decide he's not efficient enough to be a starting pitcher? Uh, he just went seven while we were recording this podcast. So yeah. <laughs> uh, he was nope. efficient enough. Um, I, I don't think that's a problem of of him being a starting pitcher i i think it's a problem of do you want him to be your starting pitcher more so uh and i i I think his erraticness that that's just who he is i wish he wasn't because i really like aaron sanchez but um i think he's he's gonna walk people that's just how he rolls yeah now his walk rate is higher than it's ever been so i don't know I, i expect some negative or positive regression there uh but yeah, I mean, he's never going to be a control pitcher. He never was going, coming up through the minors. And even in his early stints in the big leagues, you know, in 2015, he walked 4.3 batters per nine because I have his baseball reference page up, not his Fangraphs one. But, you know, he had that great season in 2016 where it fell to three. But that was the anomaly. That wasn't the new normal. Yeah. So I, I think that as long as he can be around four and a half, not the current 5.7, then he, with his stuff, he could be a very, very good starter, like a solid number two. Even now, like he's still, you know, getting outs because people don't square up the ball very much against him. But you know, he he still needs to clean that up a bit more. I, I, as for why, I, I like, like you said, like we said, I think it's just he's always going to have stretches like this. Mm-hmm. All right, so. Back to the familiar, uh, most popular player to talk about here, Zurhan. Zurhan, I'm sorry. I don't. Zurin? I, Zurin, sure. And, and how is the Twitter handle even more difficult to pronounce than his name? Yoderico <laughs> uh, uh, says, Vlad has been getting nothing to hit, and he, uh, 
It brings up that James and T.O. tweet we were talking about. Do you think he's just not being patient enough, or is this just an anomaly of pitchers hitting way more corners than is sustainable? Look, I we went over this already, and I think if you were listening earlier, you wouldn't be asking a question this late in the podcast about that. <laughs> is that not how this works? Yeah, so the question's coming live. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> I may have to review how the podcasting technology works and issue an apology next week, but uh, I'll get back to you on that. I'm pretty sure you should know that already. It's uh, a over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Vladito cometh at split letters. Uh, hey, Luke. Asks, are we allowed to be mad about the atrocious strike zone that's being called against Vlad? No wonder he's struggling. His zone is apparently several inches bigger in every direction. Uh, before I go into the, well, he's a big boy explanation, would you like to address that, Josh? Heck yeah, we're allowed to be mad about it. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah. We all want to see him hit. Like, that's that's the one thing we have to care about right now, is see Vlad do some damage. And he keeps getting on horrible counts because these pitches off the plate are called for strikes. Damn right we should be mad. <laughs> exactly. Let the beast eat. And he can't eat around the edges. He must eat in the middle of the plate. Zach Meyer. Yeah. Yes. Yes, at Zach B. Meyer. Yes. What other position players could we ha- see have a pitching appearance this season? We're anticipating that many blowouts, are we? Well, <laughs> they don't have a fifth starter still, so. Shohei Otani. He didn't ask Blue Jays position players, did he? He's not going to pitch this season. But he's back. That's cool. Yeah, as a hitter. Well, maybe they'll, maybe if they're really stuck, can you throw? <laughs> Like the worst that, management I think decision they would ever. Pretty much anybody before they threw him this year. Oh man, that would be. Who else would take them on before Otani? <laughs> okay, back to actual Blue Jay position players. Um, do you feel like Justin Smoke has some gas in there? No, I don't think it'd be him. No, and no, I think we'll see like Eric Sogard or Teoscar Hernandez or something like that. Eric Sogard would be Brandon, fun. Brandon Drury. That's the guy. Brandon Jury is it. All right. Um, there's the Lloydis. Maybe Lourdes Gurriel can only hit the plate. Maybe when he comes back, that'll be his secret weapon is, is he can throw strikes, but not to first base. Maybe. All right. You want to do the last topic that was uh, sort of ushered over to us by Ewan? Well, it was just a, this was a tweet that Brandon Warren put out. He covers the twins. And he put this out wide to the Twitter world. If you were a commissioner of baseball, what five things would you change? I answered it on Twitter, so you can go first. Okay. Number one, balance the schedule. That was one of mine. Yep. Um, What other things? Number two, DH to the National League. Also mine. (laughs) I have a feeling. Uh, Let's see. Uh, number three, uh, netting at all the ballparks extended down past third base everywhere. I don't care about your view. Um, I care about your face. Um, what else? Uh, I, I think I would be looking at, um, some sort of salary cap, salary floor situation. And, uh, I would have better regulations for whatever the heck they manufacture the baseballs out of. There's my five off the top of my head. 
Oh, good. I added uh, fixing the stupid blackout rules. Yep. Legit. Minor league pay raise. Mm-hmm. And a requirement that Pat Venditti has a job at all times. <laughs> <laughs> until another, I actually I specified, until another ambidextrous, or as the newspaper would say, amphibious pitcher arrives on the scene. Or even an actual amphibious pitcher. <laughs> now, that would be definitely worth it. <laughs> this By is way, Gil, funny... our, our amphibious <laughs> pitcher. I had a funny reply from someone. I, so I put universal DH, not DH in the NL. And Turf Ferguson, who has asked questions at the podcast before at Turferg, the universal DH should be Nelson Cruz. We'll have to stagger start times a bit, but I think we can do this. <laughs> That's where it's at. Yeah. I like that. True specialization in baseball was important. The, the universal DH is Nelson Cruz, and the universal seventh man in the pen is Pat Venditti. Done and done. Okay, not done. We don't have any of that kind of power because we're not the commissioner yet. But if you vote next year uh, during the All-Star Game festivities, I think that's when they elect the commissioner. Isn't that part of the All-Star Game <laughs> final vote? Yep. Oh, good. Um, I was finally right about something. Uh, we have, of course, uh, everybody's favorite segment, uh, the do-over, though we are a bit tardy on this one, I think. Oops, I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... I think this is for Aaron Sanchez. I think he really did say the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet, didn't he? He sure did. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, so when you say we're a little late on this, he did address it and say it was just, you know, basically he was heated because it was just coming off a crappy game. And he called, you know, called the Jays. I won't swear, but effing brutal in the series. And he was right. They were. The thing that I wanted to give the do-over for, though, was the quote, wish I would have got some help out there. <laughs> okay. When you're Aaron Sanchez and your entire mode of pitching is getting ground balls, and frankly, his results on those ground balls have been pretty good this year, and you're walking over five batters per nine, you can't really blame your teammates or get mad at them. And he gave up nine hits and two walks in four innings, including a bomb in that game. This is the Miguel Montero blaming Jake Arrieta for not being able to throw out runners. Yeah. Yeah. Th these are, uh, these are self-manufactured problems. Yeah. Now look, as a pitcher, there are a hundred percent times where you're like, that goddamn fielder should have caught that ball. <laughs> right. And it's true. I mean, like we say it as fans, like it's unbelievable that plays aren't made. You just don't say this out loud to the media. You, you, if you're upset, you stew on it. You go and smash a water bottle or something, or you just you don't do anything publicly because you don't want to show up your teammates. It's just not the right thing to do. Yeah, I'm sure pitchers sit around and talk about all the plays not made behind them from time to time when they're really freaking out. But the, I mean, the other players, the position players, know when the other position players aren't playing well. Like when they're not making plays, it's not a secret. Everybody mm -hmm. gets upset about it, but just you don't need to throw the guy under the bus or the, in this case, the guys under the bus. So do you have a specific do-over activity for Mr. Sanchez? Yeah. Uh, no, we, yeah, his do-over activity is just to learn the Carlos Zambrano version, but in the tunnel instead of the dugout where you just go in and just start yammering and shouting at yourself. That'll be his catharsis. Do it that next time, but make it so we can see it so it'll be funny.
I think he should have to um, take um, ground balls. Take ground balls? Yep. <laughs> I think that's for a week straight when he's not starting. He has to take ground balls with all the other I don't want him to get hurt, so I'm not going to give him that do-over. He so, can do it in like a simulator or something. <laughs> get, his, get his headset on in VR and controllers and field virtual ground balls so he doesn't hurt himself. Um, just so he can appreciate how tough it can be. Oh, goodness. I think that about uh, sums up what we have for the week. So I'm going to ask you if you have a final thought. Well, earlier on, when I mentioned my favorite, Pat Venditti, you said, let's get weird. Well, I think it's time to get weird. Guess who's back throwing in healthy in the minors? Ryan Firebend. Closing time. Quitting time. (laughs) Oh, yes. I forgot. We we gave him a nickname and then he never he didn't show up yet. Lefty knuckleballer, let's get him up. Yeah. Could it hurt at this point, really? Oh yeah, I mean the pitching's been okay. <laughs> oh right, yeah. But I mean a, a loss is a loss. All right, we're we're gonna go for closing time. Quitting time. Quitting time, sorry. Yeah. Um Yeah, it's uh my final thought is is it's okay to not watch the West Coast games for this team. I just want everybody out there to know that. That if you got to get up for work in the morning, you can catch like the highlight. Are they still doing Jays and 30? Nobody talks about Jays and 30 anymore. Because why would you want to watch it twice? Right. Um, but you, only in a compact. Regardless, you can watch the lowlights and you can get everything you need out of a West Coast game. It's okay. You could save your energy for next, next year. Uh, when things should be a lot better, I just want—I want to let you all. This is your your uh, your doctor's note for going to bed on time if the Blue Jays are on the West Coast. All right, that brings us to the end of another program, which is to say that you were Josh Housem at Joshua Housem, and I was Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010, and our guest was Jeremy Wolf of More Than Baseball. Thank you for coming on, and uh, this at has MTB underscore org. There you go. Uh, And this has been episode number 141 of Artificial Turf Wars. And we'll talk at you next week.